Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. You may notice that uh, Jerry Newman's been with us for 14 years, and aren't you glad that he serves the Lord here? If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount and finish going through chapter 6 and chapter 7. Um, incidentally, I will tell you that you know, many of you know that Brandon Hayes is preaching the venue every Sunday. And um, starting today, we're going to be on the same passage as we go. So when he fills in for me, if I have to be gone, then there won't be any break in the, what's going on. And, um, and if you get mad and don't like it in here, you're going to get the same passage in the other, in the venue. So I just wanted you to know. But it will maintain some continuity among our congregation, and we want to try and do that as our church continues to grow. Matthew chapter 6, beginning. Actually, I'm going to focus on verse 25 and following, but I want to begin reading in verse 24 because of that first word in verse 25, therefore. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask today there be victories won in people's lives. That those who don't know Jesus would come to know him in a personal, saving way. For those who are not right with you, that they might be drawn closer to you and renew and restore that fellowship with you. And for those who are worried, we pray, Lord, they will leave it right here in this room and walk out in peace, peace with you. So, God, we ask that you speak to us now from your word 
In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. There's a thief running loose in our midst. A thief that will take your joy and energy and peace of mind can even take your health. And that thief is called worry. We approach this new year, there are a lot of people who are worried. When something new, there's something good about beginning a new year, about getting back into the routine and rhythm of life. But a lot of people are already worried about this coming year. And if you listen to all the news agencies, we're going to be singing doom, despair, and agony on me. Everybody's worried. You cannot live that way. In fact, as a believer in Christ, we're told not to live that way. Now, there's a difference in worry and concern. When you're concerned about somebody, you pray for them, you try to have compassion with them, you try to minister to them. Worry is, is being almost sick to the point that there's, it's about something you have no control over. You really don't. You don't have control over the weather, so why worry about it? I mean, you can worry about it, but you're not going to change it one iota. One lady said, worry is as useless as a handle on a snowball. (laughs) And I like what Arthur Roach said, worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all of the thoughts are drained. Some people worry about everything. They worry about everything. I've had relatives that it was their hobby to worry. Some of you are like the old man that was standing on a bus, crowded bus, and there was a young man standing next to him, and he simply asked him, what time is it, sir? And the old man wouldn't answer him, just kind of turned his back, and he, wasn't, he didn't say anything ugly, but he just didn't answer him. And finally, the young man walked on off, and, the, and one of his man's friends said, why were you so discourteous to that young man? He said, well... If I had given him the time of day next, he would have wanted to know where I'm going. And then he might have wanted to talk about our interests. And if we did that, he might have invited himself to my house for dinner. And if he did that, he would meet my lovely daughter. And if he met her, they would fall in love. And I don't want my daughter marrying someone who can't afford a watch. (laughs) Now, I know some people like that. They imagine things that have never happened and never will happen. Worry strangles us. It strangles us emotionally and physically and spiritually. Corey Ten Boom said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Some of you may be like Walter Kelly, the creator of that old Pogo uh, comic strip, which said, when I don't have anything to worry about, I begin to worry about that. (laughs) Did you know in World War II, Between 1941 and 1945, the United States lost 250,000 Americans in combat. That same period of time, 1941 to 45, 2 million Americans died of cardiovascular disease. And physicians tell us that one-third to one-half of those deaths were related to worry. In other words, more people died during World War II of anxiety and worry than were killed in combat. Worry. The Mayo Clinic founder, Dr. Charles Mayo, said that half of their beds were filled with people who worried themselves there. Worry uh, drains us spiritually. 
In Luke chapter 8, Jesus told the parable of the man sowing seed. Of course, we know the, the seed is the gospel. Some of it fell on wayside ground, the path. It was immediately snatched up by the birds. Some fell on shallow soil. The seed sprang up quickly but had no roots, and the trials of life destroyed it. And basically, Jesus said those are the people who were influenced by the gospel but never have received Christ. And then the third group, it says the seed fell among thorny ground and then of course the good soil now when he was describing to the disciples what each of those types of ground meant listen to what he said about the third it just said this the the seed sprang up quickly but then he says and the seed which fell among the thorns these are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. You can know Jesus and render yourself useless in the kingdom because of your worry. Now, Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful. But if all of us are honest, we will admit that we don't really live with the peace of Jesus in our life. We have a tendency to react one of two ways when something difficult comes our way. We can choose to worry about the situation, or we can choose to say, God, I believe you. I believe you're in control. I believe you love me, and I'm going to trust you. I believe you will take care of us. Now, Jesus mentioned worry. The heart of this passage is don't worry. Stop it. It's a command. Do not worry. Do not take thought about your life. So he says that three times. Why? Because all of us have a tendency to worry. So why is it a sin, and it is a sin, to worry? Why? Well, first of all, worry reveals our distrust. He says, for this reason or therefore, he just mentioned God is your master. God is in control. You can't serve God and money or mammon, the things of this world. You can't do both. And if you say God is your master, then stop worrying about how he's going to take care of you. Now, folks, I want to be real clear. The Lord is not advocating you don't work. We're told in 1 Thessalonians we're supposed to work, provide for our household. The Lord's not advocating that you don't do anything, that you expect God to just drop food in your mouth every day. It doesn't mean that you don't make plans for the future, for your retirement. It does not mean, he didn't say, take your brains out and lay it on the table. He gave us a lot of other truth about living life. But there are things in our life that we have no control over. And we begin to worry about that and fret about that, and it renders us useless in the kingdom. He says, don't worry about your life. The word is suke. We get our word psych from it, but it basically means all areas of your life. Not just one area, all areas of your life. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God, and yet it is a sin that Christians commit probably more frequently than any other one. We get our word worry from a German word. It means to strangle or to choke. 
It strangles us. We just stop living. We stop being useful. We're just choked, locked down. Every now and then we have fog. Sometimes it can be pretty dense fog. It's interesting that the National Bureau of Standards tells us that a dense fog that can cover seven city blocks 100 feet high, dense fog, you can't see through it, 100 feet high, seven city blocks. If you can condense all of those millions of droplets together, you can put them in a water glass. In other words, a water glass can cover an entire seven-block area if you disperse it enough. So that means a couple of gallons of water could shut down a whole city. Well, worry is that way. We worry about things that don't really ever happen, but it shuts us down because in our minds we can't see, we can't understand. But worry is the opposite of contentment. It's saying, God, oh, I believe you're going to take me to heaven. I believe you've forgiven me of my sin. I believe I've been redeemed. But I don't believe you can take care of me on this earth. Now, what kind of mentality is that? A Christian's contentment is found in God alone because God owns everything. God controls everything. God provides everything. And if we say, I give you my life, I believe you control my destiny, my future, my eternity, then why can't we say, well, Lord, I trust you here too. I believe you can take care of me. Do you really believe that? See, some of you right now are going, you're out of your mind. You don't know what's going on in my life. Or no, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know you have the choice to let God have his way and to trust him. Worry also reveals our disbelief. We're afraid we're going to lose something. So we build our lives around temporal things. Have you ever noticed how under the name of security in our day and age, it always has to do with what you've accumulated? We fear poverty, so we try to get all the money that we can. We fear dying, so we try to stay as healthy as we can. And there's nothing wrong with trying to do that. We, we feel that, that we feel of, we're anxious about losing the affection of somebody in our family, so we smother them. We just overreact to everything because we're worried. And yet, most of us think the way to remove anxiety is to protect ourselves by gathering all of this stuff. But the basic thrust of these verses is that a believer has to believe that God is his heavenly father. Now, I know some of you did not have good dads, fathers. And so it's hard for you to trust anyone with the term father on it. But the heavenly father is perfect. He's always good. He always loves you. He won't leave you. But the basic thrust is, if you, have you forgotten who your father is? You say, well, I don't believe God knows what's going on. Yeah, he does. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's everywhere he knows. So Jesus uses some examples here. It's pretty interesting. Basically, 
you, you got to eat to live, don't you? And you got to stay clothed to survive, and we want you to stay clothed. I wish more people stayed clothed. And we want to live as long as we can here on the earth. And so beginning in verse 26, he talks about food. And, and he, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. And the answer to these is, uh, is obvious. That's what a rhetorical question is. And it's interesting that with these questions, he appeals to logic. He uses two arguments. He uses one going from greater to lesser. For example, in verse 26, 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? God gave you life. Your life is more important than what you're going to have for lunch, isn't it? Now, some of you think you're going to die before you get there today. But if you had to choose life to stay alive today or eat lunch or miss it, what would you choose? Obviously, the greater. I want to stay alive. Well, the body's the same way. What's more important, the body or the clothes that you're wearing? From greater to lesser. And Jesus is stressing that true life comes from God, and your life is so valuable God knows that you have to eat and protect your body through clothing to stay alive. So don't you think he will provide that? That's the point he's making. Then he goes from lesser to greater. He uses the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they of not more value then are you not of more value than they? In other words, you're more important than a bird, aren't you? You should be. <laughs> Some of you are turkeys, but you're still more important than a bird. <laughs> that was carnal. That came from, that did not come from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've been a turkey too, whatever that means. But. Of course, in this day and age, you think, well, of course, and, and it's interesting. You notice Jesus didn't say their heavenly father feeds them. He says your heavenly father feeds those birds. Now, I know God is the creator, but birds do not have a relationship with God like we do. And anybody that tells you that we are just one of the highest orders of the animals, it doesn't know what they're talking about because we are made in the image of God. And Jesus is saying, look at a bird. Your heavenly father takes, your heavenly father takes care of them. Aren't you more important than they are? Because you have a relationship with God. The birds don't. Of course, in our day and age, we're so perverted here. You can go to prison for killing an eagle, and yet you can kill an unborn baby, and there's no big deal. So our, our world has flipped over anyway. It's all perverted. And yeah, you can quote me on that. I don't care. But the fact is, the Lord is saying, you are much more important than a bird. So he goes from lesser to greater. Some of the commentaries included this poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and hurry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. 
Well, it makes a good point, but the fact is birds don't have a relationship with God and God says they're going to be fed and they are fed. They have to work for it, but they're fed. He said, you're much more important than a bird. We have a special relationship with God. He's going to take care of you. There's a catch to it, though. I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. The second thing he talks about is longevity or our future. Verse 27, which of you by worrying could add one cubit to a stature? Now, actually, the issue here is longevity. We're thinking of height, and it does mean that, but our culture is obsessed with lengthening life. So we exercise, we eat carefully, we supplement our diets with vitamins and minerals, we get checkups, and we hope to live as long as we can. But I want to tell you that God tells us to number our days. You can't worry yourself to life, but you can worry yourself to death. You could shorten your life by it. Dr. Charles Mayo, the Mayo Clinic, said, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never met a man or known a man to die of working too hard, but I've known a lot who died of worry. We worry so much about the future. Folks, how many elections have you lived through that have all said, this is the one, this is the one. If we don't elect the right people, it's the end of the world. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's important that you elect good people. I will never vote for somebody who's not pro-life, period. She won't. But what I'm telling you is that we're always, always on the verge of extinction. Aren't we? Reminds me of a guy, some of you folks... Well, all of us. We're, we're like the guy, a truck driver, driving one of these two-ton box trucks. He's downtown, a large city, and he got to a place where there's a traffic light at every intersection, every block. And he happened to be going opposite. So he was catching every red light. Every time he got to a red light, he would get out of the truck with a baseball bat, and he would beat the side of that truck as hard as he could. Boom, 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 boom. He'd get back in, and he'd drive another block. He'd stop. He got out with a baseball bat, beat the side of that truck, and he did that block after block after block. Finally, somebody who was beside him rolled his window down and said, Sir, what in the world are you doing beating that truck every time you stop? And he said, Oh, it's simple. I've got a two-ton truck. I'm carrying four tons of canaries. I've got to keep half of them flying all the time. (laughs) Some of you are like that. You got to keep half your worries flying all the time. You can't ever relax. I've always got something. Some of you worry about things that never happen. A patient in a mental hospital. He was a patient, had some mental issues, holding his ear close to the wall, was listening intently. One of the attendants walked up to him and he told him, Be quiet. He said, Listen. So the attendant pressed his ear up against the wall, was listening. About a minute later, he said, I don't hear anything. And the patient said, yeah, it's been like that all day. (laughs) 
One man got exasperated with his wife. He said, you're always worrying about things that never happen. Your worrying doesn't do any good. And she said, oh, yes, it does, because 90% of the things I worry about never happen. He mentions clothing. Nothing wrong with clothing. Our issue today is not that we have adequate clothing. It's do we have the right emblem on it or brand on it. It's an indictment of our day that we spend so much time, money, and effort to dress ourselves. But we need to dress modestly, but it doesn't say we have to have certain kinds of clothes. We, we put that on there like it's some kind of prestigious thing. See, to be anxious about even little things that we need to survive, Jesus is saying you're showing little faith. In fact, he mentions that three or four times in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, ye, oh, men of little faith. You don't believe. Worry's not a trivial sin. You know why? Because it strikes at the very nature and heart and integrity of God. We're basically saying, God, you're not trustworthy. Your word is not trustworthy. I know what you said you would do, but I don't believe it. I don't believe you. I don't believe your word. I don't believe it. I believe you can save me and take me to heaven, but I do not believe you can take care of me here on this earth. That's why it's such a big deal. Worry declares our Heavenly Father to be untrustworthy. It shows that we're mastered by our circumstances and our own limited perspective. We just believe that we can see better than God. And he, you've got to remember, he can see a lot further down the road than, than we do. We worry about things that really don't amount to much a farmer came into a local restaurant and asked the owner of the restaurant, he said, do you want to start serving frog legs? And the owner said, where am I going to get them? He said, I can provide them for you. I have a pond that's got millions of them in it. So they made a deal. The next week, the farmer was supposed to bring in about 100 frogs. He tried to see if he could sell frog legs. He came back a week later, and that farmer walked in with two scrawny frogs he said uh, well I guess I was wrong there were just two frogs in the pond but they sure were making a lot of noise <laughs> that's our, how our worries are we take our eyes off God and we start stop looking at all of the positive things that he's given us and what he's done for us and all we can see all we can hear and all we can focus on is whatever that one worry is you see when a believer is not fresh in the word every day and you take your eyes off the Lord Satan sort of moves into that vacuum and makes you begin to worry worry also reveals our distraction instead of focusing on the Lord we're focusing on our circumstances he said and even the Gentiles seek these things all these things now, what he means by that, those who don't have a focus on God. Here, he was talking to the Jewish people. It would be anybody that didn't believe in God, but also anybody today that doesn't trust the Lord. 
He said, they're all involved in trying to grab all they can here on this earth. They had man-made gods that they tried to appease and they tried to keep settled, you know, and the Gentiles, the pagans did. But he said, you have a father who knows what you need. Your father, your heavenly father knows. And to worry about our physical welfare and the clothing is a mark of a worldly mind. We think like the world. The world tries to grab everything they can. And what's sad is that those without Jesus, whatever they've accumulated on this earth, that's as good as it will ever be for them, ever. Because if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to heaven. And so everybody tries to grab all that they can here on this earth, and we become distracted. One lady wrote, she said, My husband Jerry and I had a neighbor who worked evenings. Without fail, his car's piercing headlights would illuminate our bedroom precisely at 12.20 a.m., and then my husband would deliver a tirade about how inconsiderate he is to come home so late. One night I was aroused by Jerry's tossing and turning, and I said, are you ill? And he said, no, it's nearly 2 o'clock in the morning, and that guy hasn't come home yet. I'm worried about him. We get so distracted. But Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Ruth Bell Graham said, I've learned that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They're mutually exclusive. I want to be real careful what I say here. Because I, I, I don't want it to sound, I'm not being judgmental. I don't mean to be. But I do see some issues clearly. Our office, our pastors, we see a lot of hurting people. We see a lot of people that are in, in situations where they desperately need help. There's nothing wrong with helping people. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm, I'm going to think about a family member for a moment. I'm not going to tell you their name. I'm not going to tell you any details. But recently tried and, and did help them in a situation. But it got down to it. I asked this person, I said, I want to know where you are with the Lord. Because the reason you're in the situation you're in because of choices you made a long time ago. I'm not being critical, but I want to know if you're, you're wanting to get your life straight, where's the Lord fit into this? And he admitted, he said, I, you're exactly right. And, he, and, I, and I want you to know they're starting to head in the right direction. But my, my, but my point is this. I see so many people in dire straits and desperate situations Sometimes because they've sought everything else but the kingdom of God. Their priorities are wrong. If you don't put Jesus in the right place in your life, all the other priorities are out of sync. 
I wish I could tell you, just follow Jesus and you won't have any problems. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I wish I could tell you that you're not ever going to have any issues. I wish I could tell you that when the day comes for you to go home, to, when you die, that it was going to be easy, that you wouldn't have to go through heartache, that your family wouldn't have to go through heartache. None of us are going to get out of this world alive <laughs> unless Jesus returns. So that's what we're all hoping for. We're all hoping, Lord, please return so that we don't have to go through difficulty. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not going to sit around on a mountain waiting on Jesus to return. And I'm not going to go hide myself waiting for Jesus to return. I cannot hoard enough stuff in my life to prevent every conceivable possibility that could happen to me. I can't. But we're told that all the time, aren't we? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. There are more chicken littles running around than you can imagine. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. I can't live. I'm not going to make it. And Jesus said in verse 34, he said, why don't you just live today? That's all you have. Tomorrow, it'll have its own issues. You have today. So how do you live without worry? I'm not going to tell you you can because it's always a temptation. But we should strive to do that. One thing you can do is to put Jesus in the right place in your life. If you are living in sin and not in fellowship with God, then worry is going to come. Some of you know you're living in sin. You're violating God's word. You know it. And you think, well, I, I can violate that and get by with it. And I won't have any worries. No. What part of first do you not understand? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God Amen. through him. You can dwell on God's faithfulness. Now, here's a safe place to say amen. Has God been faithful to you? Amen. Well, what makes you think he's going to stop today? Psalm 105. Read Psalm 105. It's a long booger. It's a long one. But it talks about all that God's done and how faithful he's been. Go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where it says, where Paul said, be anxious for what part of nothing do you not understand? But in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving in your heart, make your request be known to God and the peace of God will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. So instead of worrying about it, why don't you pray about it and give it to the Lord? The psalmist said, cast your burden on the Lord. The word cast means let it roll off. You know how it feels? I'm one of those people who likes to get all of the luggage from a trip in the house at one time. Why make two trips when you can get it all at once? But I have a tendency to overload myself 
And when I get in the house, what a relief it is to let it go. Same when you go to the grocery store. Now you got 65 Walmart bags to carry in. I can put 25 on one hand. I'm going to walk in with them. Where do you want this? Where do you want this? Hurry, where do you want this? And to cast it, that's what the word cast means. Roll it off. So my challenge to you today is this. If you don't know Jesus, that's the beginning place. Trust me, you can be religious and not know Jesus. I was a professional churchgoer, born into it, but didn't know Jesus. You have to turn from your sin, ask God to forgive you, and commit your life to him. If, you've not done, if you don't know that, you, you have no hope of ever getting away from worry because worry is not the absence of conflict Excuse me, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God in your life, in the midst of your circumstances. Maybe you're a believer. You've been saved, but you are in violation of what God tells you to do. And you know it. I don't have to come tell you. The Holy Spirit's wearing you out about it. Stop doing it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse me to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've got to get that fellowship back with the Lord. You don't have to be saved again, but you need to make the fellowship right. And those of you who are believers and you've got some kind of worry in your life right now, I'm not talking about concern. We're concerned about people who are sick. We're concerned and compassionate about people who've lost loved ones. I know that, but I'm talking about you're worried about something you have no control over. You cannot change it one iota. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave it in the seat. We're going to pray in a moment, and I want you to give it to God, and I want you to leave it in the seat, and we're going to sweep the seats out before the next service. But you're going to leave it right in here. And you're going to walk out with a piece of Jesus in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to forgive us for our worries. We can't see down the road like you can, and many times we, we have a tendency to just stress ourselves to the point that we're pretty useless. But Lord, right now, we want to leave that with you. So we're going to pull it out of our pocket and out of the deep recesses of our heart, and we're going to leave it right here with you. We're going to cast it to you today. I pray for those that need to receive and commit their lives to Jesus today. To seek first the kingdom of God. That means to commit their lives to you. I pray for believers who who are so miserable right now and they wonder why all this heartache's going on in their life when they're in direct violation of what you've told them to do. They wonder why that relationship doesn't work when it's not built on the foundation you told us to build it on in the first place. So Lord, we're going to come back to trust you. Thank you for saving us. We trust you to take us to heaven one day. 
but we're also going to trust you now with why we're sojourning here on this earth to trust you with everything. I pray for those that need a church. They need a hospital for sinners, and this is a good one because we're all just a bunch of sinners. They've been saved by your precious grace. We pray for those that need to be baptized and help them get past any excuses they use to be obedient to you. We pray for those that need to commit their lives to you right now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.